Hello and welcome to Move the Line. I'm Ryan Newton, joined here as always by my friends to talk football, Connor Allen, Sharp Clark. Connor, start with you, buddy. How are we doing today? Good. Living the thread life lately on Twitter, you know, tweeting out as much uh, stats as possible. Uh, Lately more often than than usual. And uh, it's just crazy to me how the way people want to consume data and information nowadays is just so much different than the old days where you write an article and people get excited. Now people just want to read threads. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm the donkey that just you know published 3,000 words in this division, uh, and you're the wise guy who's out here putting out uh, threads that people are going to consume all day long. Clark, we're doing it the wrong way. Yeah, apparently. Uh, but yeah, things are good. I mean, I my wife's been watching the quarterbacks show, uh, and I'm a little bit worried she's going to leave me for Kirk Cousins. But apart from that, everything everything's good. Training camps are underway, so excited to talk NFC North. I've not consumed it yet, but uh, I've you know, seen some of the clips and you can't scroll through it on Twitter without it popping up a, you know, a clip. It seems like it probably has a little bit more Brittany Mahomes than I'm, than I'm prepared for or really want to engage with, but um, I'm excited to, to take in. I, you know, I know football hardos are, you know, not finding anything new out. It reminds me of some of, at least my impression of what I heard so far is like some of the stuff that they did with like full swing on the PGA tour and some of the F1 stuff. Like if you're like really in the weeds in those sports, it's probably not for you, but, you know, probably good high level stuff for wives. You know, I have a 15 year old who wants to watch it with me. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah. Oh man, I, I'm in the weeds of the NFL every day and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I think you, I think you learned a lot about the way NFL teams work and, and quarterbacks prepare and all those kinds of things. I, um, yeah, I, I have a note from one of the episodes, uh, you know, on the Vikings. So. We'll see. Yeah, I love the full swing thing of the PGA Tour, and a lot of people, you know, hated it because they explained like five times in the first hour, like how the cut line works, and uh, you know they kept bouncing around, and it wasn't in like the order of the actual tournaments, and it's like, gosh, no one really cares. The show is not really for you. Uh, just consume it as it is. So uh, excited to uh, to unpack it here. Just seven weeks away from the start of the season, we have rookie training camps uh, underway across the league. Rest of the rosters, the vets are reporting next week. We're getting close, folks. We're almost here. So uh, NFC North today, excited to unpack this. Uh, both Clark and I have previews up on the site. If you head over to 444.com to check it out. If you're hanging out with us on YouTube, we appreciate that. Uh, subscribe and uh, you know, thumbs up, comments, all those things go a long way to support the free content that we're doing here. Still obviously available in podcast form as well. Subscribe there too so you don't miss a show. Um, and lots of great stuff coming out on 44. We're getting to the crunch time here. So subs at 444, the way to go. The betting sub is the bell of the ball. It gets you everything, anything you would need to be profitable, no matter how you like to get in on football season. Tools, rankings, articles, projections, all that stuff. Subscriber Discord is where you want to be to get all of our picks where we push it through. Uh, we've partnered with our friends over at BetMGM to get you access for really cheap. Uh, you can find that detail in the show notes if you are new and have not taking advantage of MGM yet. So you can get a betting sub by just depositing $10 at MGM. Check out the show notes for more details there. All right. Uh, NFC North is very interesting. It is in terms of like win totals it is the second worst division in the league, I guess, behind the AFC South in terms of projected win totals uh, from a scheduling standpoint, they are playing the AFC West and NFC South and then individually rotating through the uh, NFC West the AFC North and the a- uh, NFC East. So definitely a division in transition here. Uh, we'll start with the Lions here. They are shockingly in terms of how we know historically, this team has not won a playoff game since 1991. Uh, Connor, when were you born? 95. 95. The Lions have not won 
a playoff game since Connor's been alive, and they are the favorites currently in this division. Uh, if you want to bet them to win the Super Bowl, 25 to 1 on Caesars is the best number in the market, 11 to 1 to win the NFC on DraftKings, plus 155 to win this division on FanDuel, win total at nine and a half. It's slightly juiced to the over. Connor, I'll kick, kick it to you to start off with the Lions. Yeah, this team is tough because I think initially in one of the other episodes, I mentioned that I thought they're a team that might be overrated. And now when I kind of went through this division a little bit more, I think that they, in my mind, pretty clearly have the best roster in the division right now. And I think that that doesn't mean that they're perfect or that they should be plus 145 or plus 130 to win the division. But I do think that uh, when we look in totality here, they're, they are the best roster. I think that looking at their metrics last year, they were really bad defensively. 31st in EPA per play. Uh, they but they added a lot of pieces to that. They added Mosley, Sutton in their secondary, added Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Um, you know, they seem to believe in their edge rushers, you know, Charles Harris, Josh Pascal. Uh, you know, I think that if those guys pan out, that'll make a big difference for them because I do think that their defensive line is still a bit of a weakness. But offensively, it's really, really hard for me to poke many holes. Elite offensive line, great passing game. Jamison Williams, I think, is a true difference maker once he comes back from a six-game suspension. Uh, and Ben Johnson's incredible offensive coordinator. So like you have all these different factors here where we talk about teams that maybe don't have a lot of legs to stand on, uh, potentially if something goes wrong. I feel like the Lions have, you know, many here where if the pass game isn't working, the running game should work, adding Jameer Gibbs. If the, you know, running game isn't working, they should be able to pass them their way out of things. And if the defense takes a step forward, maybe even like the 15 to range in terms of rankings, I think that'll make a big difference for this team going forward. Yeah, Clark, they're not going to sneak up on anyone this year. Obviously, they were, you know, somewhat of a, especially in our bubble, somewhat of a popular sleeper team that people wanted to get behind because there was, you know, some moving parts here that were encouraging. And you know, I think it was uh, panned out in the in the second half of the season. Um, you know, Connor makes mentions of some of the defensive edges. Like they have three second year edge rushers with Hutchinson, Houston, and Pascal. They did not address that at all in the draft. And I thought that that was a solid vote of confidence for them. I saw a tweet from you earlier today, and I think we're kind of aligned and we're maybe out uh, on a limb here a little bit because obviously the, the Lions took a beating in the draft community in terms of value. And I do think that it's, you can't really argue the other way. They definitely handled it the wrong way in terms of positional value, right? But at the end of the day, I think that they maybe had flipped some of the values. Like if they would have grabbed Brian Branch where they took Jameer Gibbs, for instance, I think reception would have been way different. Overall, I don't think you can argue that there was a massive talent upgrade with what they did in the draft, even though they kind of did it ass backwards and comparatively how we think about positional value in the draft. But it's a better team after the draft. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we talked about how they finished last year. They ended the season eight and two. And one of those two losses was a last second field goal loss to the Buffalo Bills. So they finished the season really, really strong. And especially when you think about them having a new offensive coordinator, they dealt with some injuries early on. They had three consecutive losses that didn't look good. But in those games, Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift both, both missed time. And the reason why that's significant, you might say, well, you know, one or two skill players, like why does that make such a big difference? And the reason that's so significant is because of how the Lions run their offense, how Ben Johnson has designed this thing. During the season, I don't get a lot of time to dig into the X's and O's. I'm watching all the film, but I'm watching it more holistically. In the offseason, I like to go back and really, you know, watch some people break down the film, what the guys are doing, why it's why it's working, why it's not. And what I love about what the Lions do is they they set up the defense for failure, right? So they have a, an elite offensive line and they'll set up, you know, maybe two wide receivers, two tight ends and a running back, for example, which is a big set and forces the defense into a big set to stop the run. 
But then what they'll do is they'll move those guys around. And now all of a sudden the tight end splits out, the running back splits out wide. And now you've got four receivers with your inside slot being a number one receiver, like Amon Ross St. Brown matched up against potentially a defensive end or a linebacker. And th- those kinds of moves create mayhem for defenses trying to cover it all. And that's why I like the Jameer Gibbs pick and the Sam Laporta pick in round two is what they've done is they've, they've built their offense around players that have to be able to play multiple positions and Gibbs can play running back and receiver. So that, that ability to switch formations pre-snap makes everything easier for Jared Goff after the snap, because all he has to do is identify one where the space will be or two where the mismatch is. And Jared Goff is not the best quarterback in the league, but if you give him easy throws, he'll make them. Um, and so what I really liked was how that offense developed over the course of the season, how Ben Johnson got comfortable. And then when they played the same team twice, they typically played much better offensively in game two than in game one, because they saw what defensive looks those teams were going to give. And then they used those defensive looks against them. That's the kind of offense that I think can sustain even without an elite quarterback. So I'm excited to see what this offense does in, in, in the following year and year two of Ben Johnson and uh, what Jameer Gibbs can bring to the table, what they can do with Laporta, um, what Jamison Williams can do once he comes back from suspension. I think the ceiling is very high for this offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, we have years now of you know, different iterations of Jared Goff with a strong skill set, um, you know, around him, supporting cast wise and a strong play caller. And he's been above average. Like now we know if we get Jared Goff outside of a dome in cold weather late in the year. That's problematic, but uh, you know there is a path here for them to you know kind of take control of you know the NFC is wide open. It's not just this division, which I think we all kind of agree is is fairly wide open. Uh, really, the conferences, really outside of I think Philadelphia and San Francisco, kind of being above everyone else. We can make cases for you know Dallas is in there too, but otherwise it's it's very different uh, landscape than what we have in the AFC. So Johnson declining any really interviews that would matter uh, coming back and, and wanting to run this back, I think, is encouraging. They had to outscore people in that eight to two run down the stretch. I think they probably still do. They upgraded the secondary uh, a little bit. Cam Sutton, Manuel Mosley set to start at corner. Um, CJ Gardner Johnson and Brian Branch, who we mentioned, there's some other depth at, at safety. Uh, it's just markedly improved from what they had last year. Jack Campbell, you know, taking a big bodied, you know, off ball linebacker early, got a lot of raised eyebrows, but like, He's got good instincts. I think he makes an immediate impact on early downs. They had a, I think, a, one of the worst linebacker cores in the league last year. Uh, does that really play itself out massively from a win-loss standpoint? Probably not, but uh, they sure up the run defense too, I think, with that. And if they have some of those second-year edges emerge, they could be a little bit more interesting defensively. They, they were really, really bad, and we'll have to outscore people again probably. But if they get closer to the middle of the pack, that's a really different story for this team. Now, Second place finish, they are in a very difficult, unique three in terms of the schedule. They have Seattle, they go at Baltimore and at Dallas. That is really tough. They also have road games in Kansas City and L.A. against the Chargers. So that's a little bit harder in terms of the schedule. Now, Goff, I think, is going to be good again. But you look at some of the underlying metrics here. Career low interception rate last year. But all of his other metrics are right in line with his career averages in terms of, like, um, you know, actually higher dropbacks, um, but in terms of like turnover worthy plays and things like that, there were some dropped interceptions that he, he benefited from. Uh, I do think the offense gets better with Laporta because it was really a turnstile at tight end after they moved off from Hawkinson. I think even the Denzel Mims trade that happened yesterday, I think helps raise the talent level at the position while they wait for Jamison Williams to come back. So like I wanted to kind of, I'm with Connor. Like I wanted to say, Hey, look, I feel like maybe they're a little inflated in terms of the perception after last year, but like 
I don't know. How's the best way to bet them, Connor? What do you look at? I mean, nine and a half wins. We're looking at like minus 122 on FanDuel uh, is the best number, the division number at plus 155. Any interest in any of those ways to bet the Lions? Yeah, honestly, I think if you want to bet, like if you're really bullish on them, you're probably better off just taking like an alt over or something like that. I think that's like if you really think they hit their ceiling outcome. Personally, I'm just... I think that they're just very properly priced, which I know is boring to say, but that's just kind of where I'm at with them. Uh, I've, if you want me to play something, though, I think there's two looks here. Amon Ross St. Brown to lead the league in receptions. is. Clark, what do you got for your uh, – we'll wait for Connor to uh... – Unfortunately, I don't have too much – too much more to offer. I agree. They're they're fairly priced, right? Their win total is nine and a half juiced over, which is more than they you know have actually won in many years. Um, and they're clear favorites to win the division after not winning the division by four games last year. So um, you know all this optimism that I've been <laughs> espousing is already priced into the line. Uh, I don't really see a lot of value here. Um, I just think that it's one of those things where I'm not fading. I'm not getting in the way of the hype. This is this is a hype train that I will let I will let run, and then I will react once the season gets going to see if see if Ben Johnson's vision is you know coming together in year two. Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to uh, to play it there, Connor. What are your thoughts now that you're back? Yeah, so Amon Ra St. Brown lead the league in receptions. I think is interesting at twenty to one. Sam Lipscomb mentioned Amon Ra Offensive Player of the Year. That's uh, forty to one is what we're seeing on some books. So. I think both those are fine. Also, uh, Marvin Jones Jr. has a line on Caesars. It's 450 receiving yards. I, I don't think he plays after Jameson Williams comes back. Uh, I, I truly believe that it'll be like Amon Ross, St. Brown, and then Jameson, and then maybe like Josh Reynolds, Cleef Raymond, Denzel Mims. They're all, I would say, as good, if not better, than Marvin Jones at this point in his career. Marvin Jones last year was one of the worst in targets per route run, one of the worst in yards per route run last year. Just he can't separate. He barely cracked 500 yards, and I was playing like almost all the snaps with Jarvis Lawrence last year. So I, I highly, highly doubt he's going to do very much uh, with Detroit. And if his contract wasn't already like slightly guaranteed, I think it's like two mil dead cap. Like I think he get cut because he's going to be terrible. It's a good look. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of downside for uh, for Marvin Jones at this stage of his career. But uh, yeah, I, I. I'm excited for the Jameson. We want to see what can happen there when he gets on that field. I think it adds another layer of that offense and, you know, moving on and, you know, changing the the room at uh, running back to, I think they kind of a wash. I think David Montgomery coming in as the chain mover. And I think the Jameer Gibbs stuff could be really exciting too. So, all right, we'll move on to uh, the next one. Minnesota Vikings are 50 to one on points. Best number to get down uh, for them to win the Super Bowl. Same place, 20 to one. Uh, to win the NFC, they are plus 330 to win the division, and their eight and a half win total is juiced to the over. Uh, you cannot tell the story of the 2022 Vikings, uh, 13 and four, without talking about a historic 11 and 0 run uh, in one score games. And, you know, sometimes I think one score game record stuff is a little bit noisy because, you know, you're winning by seven and eight a lot, uh, you know, without knowing any context of it. I think you can kind of get lost in that, but we have seen historically that typically regresses. Um, the one thing that's interesting here with the, with the Vikings is that in those four losses, they were all like double digit losses uh, by, you know, comfortable defeats. So it did kind of add to the fact that they were a team that was kind of skating by the, skin of their teeth. And that's kind of baked into the line here. Now that we are at eight and a half across the markets, baking in some of that regression. Uh, Clark, I'll let you get started with the Vikings. Yeah, it's going to be the most lukewarm back and forth summary ever, because for years before last year, the Vikings story was, oh, they're, they're an eight and eight team. They're, they're a 50, 50 team, eight, and nine, nine and eight kind of team. And then last year 
they were a 50 50 team, eight and eight team, nine and eight team, but they just got really lucky in end game scenarios. And while not all one game score statistics are signal, I think if you look at the specific ways that they won some of those games, like you can see the signal that they're going to come back down to earth and be an average team again. And you've got, you know, some things to be excited about, right? Brian Flores should make their defense a little more feisty. Uh, but on the other end, you're, you're going to be losing Zadarius Smith. You're losing uh, Eric Kendricks. You're losing Dalvin Tomlinson, Patrick Peterson. So what kind of pieces is he going to be working with and implementing this more aggressive defense? I don't know. Um, optimistic that, you know, Kirk Cousins can be even more confident in year two and Kevin O'Connell's system. Um, but at the same time, you're losing Dalvin Cook. And I know that, uh, you know, the analytics guys are like, oh, Dalvin Cook was washed. Like, they're not really losing much. But I think they were. You know, I, I, like the, the screen game where Kirk Cousins has that release against the Blitz, like Dalvin Cook has been serving that role for years. And I just don't think that Madison has the same level of explosiveness once he gets out in the open, um, even from last year. So I think they're going to take a little bit of a hit there. And then, you know, no Adam Thielen, again, kind of washed, but he's been a staple for years. They're going to need uh, Jordan Addison, who I think just got booked for like 140 mile an hour speeding or something today. Um, <laughs> might have been a rumor. I don't know. But they're going to need him to step up as a rookie. Um, and, and I don't think KJ Osborne is, is going to be able to fill that full number two role. It's going to have to be kind of a split. Um, and Hawkinson can help too. But even then, you know, their schedule is brutal. You mentioned the Lions, uh, three unique opponents. The Vikings have to play the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Bengals in their three, you know, at-large games. That's absolutely brutal. Um, so I think there's just, a, you know, some things to be excited about, some things to be less excited about. Uh, I think we're going to be sitting here at the end of the year with another 8-9, 9-8 kind of finish, um, just like we're used to in the past with the Vikings. Yeah, Connor, I mean, Delvin Cook, like, I mean, I think he was the fall guy. I don't think it was really fair. The offensive line was dead last in the league in power success rates and metric over football outsiders. It measures the percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two yards or less to go that achieve a first down or a touchdown. Also includes runs on first or second and goal that are from the two-yard line and in. Like, it really poor performance in terms of the offensive line on those things 31st and stuff rate again which measures the percent of runs that are running back is tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage it's hard to attribute that to dalvin cook but uh again they're moving on i think that part of this is a really smart organization that understands that last year with 13 and 4 you were closer to a nine and eight, eight and nine team. You aren't necessarily positioned for a Super Bowl run. You're coming up at the end of Kirk Cousins' contract. Let's get off of some of these bigger contracts and really start to clean the books uh, and know what we need to do in the future when we need to move on and actually really start to transition this team to move forward. Yeah, I don't think that the Dalvin Cook was necessarily like they thought he was bad. I just it was they just didn't think he was worth whatever 13 million or whatever they were going to pay him. And you know, I think that's kind of an interesting difference there that not everyone's specifically talking about. So I I think that Madison will be fine. Like you said, he's not as good as Dalvin Cook, but I I agree in the sense that I think that the Vikings are probably going to be average record wise. But I think that I'm a little bit more extreme on both the offense and defense than. Uh, Clark, you are. So I think the offense is going to be significantly better this year uh, for multiple multiple reasons. Um, I mean, Adam Thielen's yards per route run has dipped in six consecutive years, was the worst separator, one of the worst separators against man coverage last year, uh, according to SIS data. Now Jordan Addison, you know, came in as like Daniel Jeremiah's top 10 player overall, was known for separating ability. I just think I understand that as a rookie, it's tough to like step in and be awesome. But I think he has such a great opportunity with Justin Jefferson taking away a lot of coverage there. Not to mention TJ Hawkinson trade midway through the year. We saw it when Kirk Cousins man versus zone splits early in the year was literally one of the worst quarterbacks against man. Then they traded for TJ Hawkinson uh, and it made a massive difference for them. Um, like he went from 
you know, terrible to at least average because he had someone else who could separate there. It's kind of why they struggled against a team like the Lions earlier as well. So the offense I expect to be significantly better passing wise uh, and the running game maybe takes a hit, but I just, I'm not sure how many positions they're going to be running in because their defense I'm very nervous about. Uh, I think in this spot, I think that Flores is maybe an upgrade from a coaching perspective. But if we look at their starting corners, uh, we're looking at like Makai Blackman, a third-round rookie, a Caleb Evans, who allowed 16.1 yards per reception, allowed 15 of 22 targets to be caught, and was a fourth-rounder last year, or Andrew Booth, who was injured but allowed, you know, was terrible when he did play. I mean, there's maybe not evidence that the secondary is going to be atrocious, but like there's certainly no evidence they're going to be good or even like average. So like we just don't know. And, and so I think it just requires Flores to come in and like instantly change that. But I think that's like a massive deficit uh, for this team. So for me, I think the defense is going to be worse. I think the offense is going to be as good, if not better. And the note from quarterback that I mentioned, like Kirk Cousins week two or three was like, yeah, I don't really know the system still. Like I, he had multiple things. He's like, I should have audibled here. Like he's like, I just didn't remember it or something like that. It's like, well, you know, that's a pretty big blunder to not know, like, you know, uh, and they just like ate a play, you know? So I think as they progress, they'll get better uh, and it'll all blend together. So I'm, I'm a little more excited, I think, on the offense. I expect similar from the offense, right? I think Kirk Cousins and you know Clark, you tell me if I'm wrong. I think for the most part in his career, he's a average to above average quarterback that will take advantage of bad opponents. Um, and then when he has to play up in competition, he can kind of get exposed a little bit where you know that's in the spot where he's not necessarily a, a talent elevator to take him to the next level. I have equal concerns about the defense. We talked about it on our coaching scheme change episode, uh, looking into this, there is not a bigger scheme change from Ed Donatel to Brian Flores in the league with anything that happened this off season, like very, very predictable defense last year. The Vikings were almost always in too high shell, played a ton of zone light box, rarely blitzed Flores in Miami. The last year he was there, Miami played the least amount of two high zone in the league. They ran man coverage at one of the league's highest rates, um, are, almost always with a uh, stacked box and led the league in blitz rate. Now that's harder to do when you don't have corners to really lock it down like he did in Miami. And you mentioned all those guys really outside of Byron Murphy are in their first and second year. Even Byron Murphy is really not that guy. He's a recognizable name, but he's not a, a guy that teams should be avoiding or worrying about. So can they hold up? Um, and all those, you know, man outside looks like that makes me really, really nervous a not a great you know pass rush team in terms of talent is going to have to be schemed up so like when they don't get home those guys are going to be exposed in man coverage and that's just a really tough place to be and then again we go back to the schedule a probably one of if not the toughest unique three draws in the league san francisco at philly at cincinnati and a couple of those come really early in the season so jefferson is good enough to steal a couple of wins by himself um yeah i think that there's depending on the extremes, like if Flores gets a lot out of these guys, like there is a path to a playoff berth, but in terms of like repeating or getting close or being in the division winner here, I don't feel really confident about that. There is a, I uh, get to lay a little juice on Caesars at minus 150, but under three and a half wins in the division is a look that I like. I don't love laying that much juice, but Clark, what's your preferred way to bet the Vikings? I, I don't think I'm betting the Vikings either at these prices. I, I think one thing, you know, maybe an alternate under, because is there a team in the NFL that is more vulnerable to one skill player injury than the Vikings are if Jefferson gets hurt? I mean, like, what's what's the Vikings' win total this year if they have no Jefferson and everything else is the same, right? It's, it's got to drop. Five and a half. It's, it's, it drops significantly, right? Yeah. So 
So I think, you know, I, I never want players to get hurt. I never want to root for that, but it happens. And, you know, maybe it's just a couple games and then the defense doesn't put it together and they start getting burned. Like there's, there's a lot of, lot of ways this can go downhill. You know, like if I know cousins wants to win a super bowl, like, you know, one of the things from watching quarterback is like his dedication and his focus is so, so incredible to watch. But if, if that's out the window and they know that they can't win this year, you know, like they might start looking towards the future, you know, Hendon Hooker might get some starts. Like, I don't know if any of that's actually going to happen. Like I wouldn't say it's likely, but you know, if you're going to play the Vikings, I think there are some, some, you know, downside cases that might happen. Yeah. Tail outcomes there. Connor, what are your thoughts on betting the Vikings? Yeah, I definitely have want no part of betting them uh, to win actual games, but I do think given kind of my bullish nature on the offense, I think most points scored in the league is very interesting. If their defense is just getting boat raced every week, uh, I think their offense is capable of keeping up with basically everyone, you know, outside of maybe a couple elite uh, defenses. But even then I really, I think, I think Addison and Jefferson are going to be closer to like a Jamar chase T Higgins combo this year than uh, what we're seeing uh, or than kind of the expectation. So uh, I'm I'm excited about them generally, so I think they're like that's like twenty to one most points scored. So I think it's a decent look at that price. I don't know which team to do next because in the market they're pretty much uh, equals, and I think that that in itself is a very interesting discussion. But we'll start with the Chicago Bears. The Bears are sixty six to one to win the Super Bowl on MGM, thirty to one to win the NFC on DraftKings. Uh, points bet at four to one has the best price to win the division, uh, and their win total at seven and a half is slightly juiced to the over. Uh, Really low expectations last year. They delivered on those low expectations. Uh, first year head coach Matt Eberflus was taking over one of the worst rosters in the league. Uh, and I think the main question that needed to be answered was, is Justin Fields a viable long-term solution at quarterback? I'm not sure that they got that answer necessarily, though they did kind of speak with their actions in the uh, offseason here. They were able to kind of back into the number one spot, but they were able to trade that to Carolina for a haul. Uh, that included DJ Moore and a ton of picks for the future. The really cool part for Bears fans is, look, if we aren't as optimistic as you are here for the current version of the Bears, they are set up to answer that question in the future. If Fields is not the guy, a combination of whatever they have in terms of pick equity and whatever they can get from Carolina, they'll be well positioned to address the position next year's draft that has a couple of guys at the top of the board that make a ton of sense. Uh, Connor, I'll let you get started with the Bears. Yeah, this team for me, I don't want to touch too much on the defense. I think you can probably get into that, but they added a couple of players that uh, will make an impact, but they didn't add them necessarily at like uh, difference making positions. You know, two off ball linebackers is obviously great, but uh, not quite what they needed, especially considering the back half of last season. They were like a bottom three defense by basically every metric. But really, this team comes down to whether or not the offense and Justin Fields could take a next step as like a passing offense. Uh, and I think that that like wholly changes their outlook depending on, you know, yes or no. If the answer is no, we're going to see probably a lot of, it's going to be very similar to last year. And I think that it's going to be Justin Fields not trusting his offensive line, progressing slowly through his reads, missing open players. If you look at, there was some great, uh, I, I believe it was, I don't remember off the top of my head, but maybe Sportfolio Kings or something like that did some great research on players get like how often a quarterback misses their open receivers and how often they're actually throwing open receivers. So Justin Fields last year, uh, despite his wide receivers getting uh, open at like the 11th highest rate in the league, he was bottom two in both accuracy to open receivers and throwing to open receivers. Now, some of that is because he's scrambling so much and creating time and like wedding, letting people get open, but he's still not finding them. And I think that 
some of that's overblown because of the cadence that's lost with the offensive line just blowing blocks and with the you know wide receivers not consistently getting open because you had terrible pass catchers. But if that's broken, like he needs to almost go back to square one. Like, can he make throws and rhythm? Can he like actually execute what needs to happen? And I think that DJ Moore allows him to do that. I think Chase Claypool, if he pans out, could allow him to do that as well, along with Darnell Mooney. But I have concerns that that just like happens. Uh, and so, because from what we've seen so far, he has been a downright awful passer in my mind in a lot of ways. And I don't know if it's his fault. I don't know if it's the receiver's fault. I don't know whose it is, but it has not been pretty in more ways than one. Um, but the, I guess the upside case is like Ohio State, he was a great passer uh, and he was like awesome. And so that's kind of the bull case, I think, if you want to make one. I know Clark has been a little bit higher on fields previously, um, but I'm, I'm interested to hear his thoughts in general this offense because I think it could go, I mean, either way. Uh, I think what, while he's healthy, he raises the floor of the offense a little bit in situations where the offensive line isn't great and the receivers aren't great because he he can create time, right? He, he can extend plays, make it harder on defenders. But, you know, even last year, like they, they, they changed the offensive a little bit right around that Patriots game where he started getting out of the pocket more. Um, I liked what they were doing. But even then, they ended the season 0-10. They lost the last 10 games. And two of those games weren't Fields games, granted. But that brings me to the second point, which is Fields is a major, major injury risk, right? I've had this conversation in the past, you know, and, and people have been like, look at the data. It shows that mobile quarterbacks, running quarterbacks aren't more likely to get injured than pocket quarterbacks. Um, and one, I just I, I don't think that's true. Like that's a small sample size argument that is heavily skewed by the fact that two of the most prolific rushers have been Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick, both of whom were really good about not getting hit. Right. Lamar Jackson gets out of bounds. He slides. He. He's just very, very good at controlling his body to avoid those bad hits. Justin Fields is the opposite. He takes hits all the time. He he slides really late. Um, and a lot of times he, he induces those, uh, you know, late hit penalties on defenders that are already in the process of tackling before he starts sliding. And that's great for the immediate first down. And, you know, like taking advantage of that sort of loophole in the rules is really nice, but it's not good for his body. Um and the second thing is the reason why pocket quarterbacks get injured is because they get sacked a lot. Like we have a high correlation between sacks and injury. So even if your argument is mobile quarterbacks don't get injured more often, Justin Fields gets sacked a lot. He takes a lot of sacks. So not only is he running out and getting hit, he's also taking sacks. He has not made it through a year yet without getting injured. You know, last year we saw Jalen Hurts get hurt. We saw Lamar Jackson get hurt. We saw Daniel Jones didn't get hurt for the first time in his career, which is pretty cool. Um, but for the most part, I just can't, put any faith in him lasting a whole 17 game season based on what I've seen so far. Um, but even if he does, I, I share the same concerns as Connor, you know, his inability to make rhythm throws and like see the offense and consistently hit, hit people when they break open is just a, an impediment to ever being a successful quarterback in the NFL. So he's going to have to get materially better. And yes, DJ Moore will help. Yes. The offensive lineman will help. Um, I would expect some improvement next year, uh, but not the kind of improvement that's going to carry a really bad defense to a winning record. That just seems very far-fetched to me. Yeah, I think DJ Moore comes over and slides everyone else in probably a more appropriate position in the pecking order uh, in terms of what they do. And DJ Moore has been a guy that has really elevated poor quarterback play in his career, um, You know, uh, 1.94 yards per route run for a career in five years with the quarterbacks he's played with is a really elite number. The problem with the field stuff is I'm with you guys. He led the league in a trio of stats that you do not want to lead the league in last year. And that was turnover-worthy play rate. Again, referenced a PFF stat that I think is um, 
I, when you look at the list, it feels like there's something to that. I haven't done a lot of homework on it, but uh, I like the stats. Time to throw, again, which is kind of speaking to the points that you guys are making, uh, and pressure to sack rate. So how many times are those pressures converted to sacks? It's a quarterback stat. Uh, he needs to be more decisive. He has to work through the progressions quicker, and he has playmakers. He needs to get the ball into their hands more. He is a electric playmaker with his legs. We saw last year, and you referenced, there was a shift with that Pats game where they – it's. The scramble rate had been higher, and all of a sudden you saw the design rate spike, and that's when we started to see these big rushing outputs from fields and just kind of lasted all season long. Can that hold up? Can he physically hold up? I think it's fair to have questions. Now, I think the offensive line exceeded expectations last year. They were fifth in run block win rate. They've gotten better, um, and I think adding you know Darnell Wright, and that also does another thing where it shifts some of the people into the right spots. Um, they're not a great pass blocking line, so they need to do a better job there too. But again, I think some of that is – a little noisy statistically because that kind of goes in line with what Fields does in terms of how he holds the ball. So uh, defensively, uh, Connor, you like brushed back on it a little bit. Like they were bad, but they were like historically bad last year down the stretch, especially. You know, they had the Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn trades. And then from there, like they the gap between them and the rest of the league, even in, like the Raiders who were 31st in the league, was massive. Like, um, Cleve T.A. had it in his preview. Like The gap between the Bears and the Raiders from 32nd to 31 was the same gap in EPA per play down the stretch that it was from the Raiders at 31 to the Chargers at four. Like, like that is a, they weren't just bad. They were like historically bad. And they had a bunch of money to spend in the offseason. And I would have loved to have seen them throw some money, like too much, where we would have been critiquing their jamal dean deal or someone that they threw money at like an edge rusher or something they, they threw a ton of money at two off-ball linebackers and i don't know i know chicago loves having some great linebackers and it's part of like you know like the ethos of the city and like they love it like i don't know is that going to translate to wins and losses i just don't see it happening corners are bad safety room is young and not really great maybe there's some guys out there they can add late and, and that are still out there free agents that can help but man, the 20 sacks by far the least in the league last year. And I don't know really how that number improves based off of what they have. So I don't know how to bet the Bears. There's an interesting price if you are a little bit down on them. Caesars has them at plus 150 to be fourth in the division. We'll get there. I think we're all a little bit more optimistic on the Packers. I think the Vikings could be in there. We talked about the wild range of outcomes, but like, I think two things can be true at the same time. I think we see a better, more exciting version of the Bears, and they're still probably not very good and probably the worst team in this division still, Clark. How do we bet the Bears? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not outright fading them for this for the reasons I was talking about with the floor with Justin Fields, and then they did they did add a lot of players. You know, like I don't like to have too strong of an opinion on teams that undergo a lot of change, but I'm implicitly fading them by by backing other teams in the division. You know, either the Packers or the Lions, I think, are, are teams you can get bullish on and. You know, if you're playing the divisional bet, then that's a bet against the Bears implicitly. So I think that's that's kind of how I'm looking to, to play the Bears this season. Connor, where are you at? Yeah, I'm going to look to fade them in season specifically, but I think an, like an alternate under is fine. Uh, I think that Claypool unders are interesting. That's at like 550. I mean, he's like out there modeling in France while Fields is, you know, playing with Mooney and, and uh, DJ Moore. I honestly think that there's going to be an opportunity to play some DJ more unders too. I just have such little faith in like a consistent passing offense that uh, it probably won't be yardage based because I think DJ Moore is a fantastic wide receiver, but I do think that uh, from a reception standpoint and like volume standpoint, it's going to be probably still be pretty low. 
yeah, I just I don't see it here. And again, hopefully they are equipped to address some of these holes on the roster moving forward with the Carolina trade, which, you know, Bears fans, uh, you know, you hope you keep everyone healthy and have it work. We just be cheering your pants off for uh, the Panthers to lose every game. I think that is the you know, best solution for your 23-24 season this year. So uh, we will move on to the Packers. Similar price, uh, again, division or, you know, conference Division Super Bowl, almost all the same, 66 to win the Super Bowl, 30 to win the NFC, uh, plus 420 on Caesars to win the division, and they also have a 7.5 win total that is slightly juiced to the over. Uh, obviously, we have not really seen a lot of turnover at quarterback for the Packers in the last 30 years, uh, which is a wild run to be on, uh, and you, you move on from a four-time league MVP that is noteworthy. Uh, we had mo- basically, uh, up until last year, the Matt LaFleur and Rodgers duo had produced three straight 13-win seasons. Last year obviously ended poorly. They had a chance to control their own destiny. Last game against Detroit at home to get into the playoffs, and they did not get there. Obviously, a lot of the questions surrounding this team, Clark, revolve around Jordan Love. There is a prevailing narrative, which I don't really understand, really outside of a lot of optimism. If you you read any Packers blog or find any comments about Packers fans, they are very optimistic that Jordan Love is going to be more than adequate. I do think based off of a really small sample size of 21 dropbacks last year, one short notice COVID induced start in Kansas city the year before everyone's really comfortable saying that Jordan love is not the guy. I'm just not really comfortable going there yet. Yeah. I'm not either. I, I I'm actually optimistic. I, I like, I like every bet you just mentioned super bowl, NFC, win total over division, all of it's good. I, I think the Packers are built to uh, allow a player like Jordan Love to succeed in his first year, right? That we look at the ways that quarterbacks have, you know, been drafted high and then waited, had to wait their turn behind an elite quarterback. And the types of situations where that has led to success have been situations like this, where the offensive play caller and head coach is solid, uh, knows what he's doing, knows how to use his players. The offensive line is good. Now that is a question mark, right? There's some health concerns, but assuming they're all healthy, they're a decent offensive line. They've got two really good running backs to take the pressure off uh, Jordan Love, so they don't have to have to do everything, right? Even when Aaron Rodgers was winning the MVP and the Packers were a dominant offense, they used those running backs a ton, especially in the short passing game. Um, these are the kinds of situations that help. And then their defense is absolutely loaded with talent. They've yet to live up to their expectations. I think there's been some valid criticisms, criticisms of Joe Barry. Um, but one thing that I really liked was their defense played better down the stretch even though they dealt with massive injuries. So I think it, it, the the way, the comparison between their defensive performance late and early is even more drastic based on the guys that they lost. Like Rashawn Gary missed some time. Hopefully he'll be back. Um, like if you remember the Lions game where they lost, I mean, the Lions had 13 points heading into that, you know, final drive where they scored the touchdown to win it. You know, they played the Vikings in the rematch and absolutely smothered them. Like Justin Jefferson had one catch. So they, they really improved, and I think that's why they retained Barry. And they have the talent and a lot of young guys that I think they can keep that going. And then the last thing is their schedule. They're, there's By my numbers, they face two teams all year that are ranked in my top 10 in the NFL. That's the Chargers and the Chiefs. Outside of that, every single team is average at best or slightly above average at best. So this is the kind of thing where it's like the balance is going to tip one way or the other. You know, if Jordan Love can step in and live up to his draft capital and put the years of training under Aaron Rodgers to, to use and the offense clicks, they should be favored in just about every game. Uh, but if he sucks and he's just nothing and, and all his time was wasted, 
then they're going to be underdogs in every game, right? So this is kind of a, a, a balancing thing where I'm, I'm tilting towards the over and the optimistic side, uh, but I think you want to try and play the the high-end outcomes, right? Winning the NFC, winning, get, you know, getting to the Super Bowl. I, I doubt they can win it, but, you know, who knows? Um, winning the division, those kinds of bets, I think, are how I, I like to look at this Packers team. Yeah, so not just Jordan Love, Connor, that we have questions about. His entire supporting cast offensively in terms of playmakers, uh, you know, pass catchers for the most part, right? Your receiving group, your tight ends are first and second year guys, right? We saw flashes of Christian Watson, massive big playability, especially in the elite, second half. He, he posted an elite 2.26 yards per route run, which is outstanding um, in, in making plays down the field. Romeo Dobbs kind of reverse, got off to a strong start and then cooled a little bit, you know, but they've added, you know, some – more depth at that position again in second and third round picks the last couple of years. Uh, I think it comes down to love, but there are a lot of exciting upside possibilities here with this Packers team. Yeah, we're going to see them probably go run heavy. I don't think that that's a shock to anyone here. And I would say limit Jordan Love. And I think my biggest concern, the more I dug into Jordan Love as a player, and this is something that I actually noticed via, via our projections. We have Jordan Love projected for 19 interceptions this year. So I texted Paulson, our resident Packers fan, and was like, hey, man, like, what, what's the deal with this? This seems outrageously high. And he was like, well, Jordan Love threw 17 interceptions in his final year in college. He's coming to the league with a 3.6 interception rate on 80 pass attempts. Again, it's very small sample size. But then in preseason was also throwing interceptions. So we have multiple samples of him generally not taking care of the ball very well in a lot of areas. Um, and I think that is potentially, I would say, my only counter argument to them being significantly underrated is that if you can't take care of the ball, if you're turning the ball over turnover margin is like one of the best predictors in the game of like who wins the game. I mean, it's just, it's not predictable in terms of like what you did will happen. But uh, I mean, the last I checked, it was like 75 to 80% of the time. If you won the turnover margin, you won the game. So like, that's obviously a big deal, uh, especially for a team that's built potentially to avoid that. So it's just gonna be a matter of whether you take care of the ball but then you have Christian Watson, who I'm a known, you know, hater. I went, I looked at Matt Harmon's reception perception. It was a little bit better than I thought, but I think what he made clear was he's a below average separator against Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed can probably help round that out in the short to intermediate areas. Uh, it's just like, I don't think Watson's going to be a true number one uh, at this point uh, based on what we saw last year. So I'm interested to see how that pans out. If Jordan Love can take care of the ball. I totally agree. Packers very underrated offensively. Uh, and defensively there specifically two players in grade well uh but i think it might be a little noisy i mean eric stokes 105th out of 118 corners darnell savage 87th out of 88 safeties again like i'm not watching darnell savage on every single play so i'm going to trust pff that there are probably a little bit more question marks there than uh what's suggested but clark brought up some great points about them playing better down the stretch and this always seemed like a defense that has a ton of talent on paper looks good but then just hasn't really lived up to expectations yeah, and that's it. That's the you know Joe Barry is you know Clark mentioned is you know that been I think reasonably so on the right side of some criticism because they have just sunk so much early round, especially first round capital on the defense. Right, it's just been kind of a joke on the other side that hey the Packers don't want to support Aaron Rodgers and give him playmakers because what they were doing is just bolstering this monster defense in terms of first round picks and a lot of it hasn't really panned out like yeah Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes missed a bunch of time last year they're top two corners that's a problem your best pass rusher missed a chunk of the season that's a problem that doesn't really neither any of those guys don't really impact how the run game works as much and they were gashed again I think they were 31st in EPA per rush allowed for the second consecutive year they've drafted a lot of guys in the middle of that defense 
they got to figure that out. Now, I don't know if that's scheme or player specific, but they have to be able to solidify that and stop it a little bit. Jair Alexander is a difference maker. If you have him on the field for 17 games, he allows you to be multiple in different ways that some of these other guys can be able to make impacts. Now you need some of these guys to step up and make plays. Another, you know, first round pick this year was Lucas Van Ness to go with Preston Smith and Gary at edge. It's a really nice group. Kenny Clark um, up front. Devontae Wynn was a first round pick the year prior, along with Quay Walker. Devontae Campbell. These are really good players in the middle of this defense. So like it's on Barry to get a little bit more out of them. Uh, you know, really, I think outside of, I think the Lions offense, which we all agree is elite, you can make the case that the Packers have a path of their defensive unit could be the best unit in this league. Now it's hard last year. They were like 26th in EPA per play. But again, all the pieces are here for this to happen. Again, they are set up to run the ball very well, take care of it defensively if Jordan Love doesn't do the things that Connor was saying. And that's, you know, create short fields for the defense. You turn the ball over and put them in bad positions. So um, I'm agreeing with Clark. Like you, there's a little chunk in the schedule in the middle. That's really it. Like weeks 10 through 13, they play at Pittsburgh, the Chargers, Detroit, and Kansas City. Otherwise, the start of the schedule and the end of the schedule are very, very soft. They have an early buy in week six. Like you can look at that schedule, Chicago, Atlanta, New Orleans, Detroit at home and Las Vegas. Like they could be in a really nice spot heading into the bye. And we have some, some answers probably pretty quickly on what's happening with this team. So that's, I think, really interesting. I'm with you, Clark. I know I think Connor is too. I think some of the early numbers that were out there in terms of to win this division at like five to one or even higher really nice DraftKings still has them at plus 180 to make the playoffs which i think is a nice number again looking at the totality of the conference there's a path here even if they say fall short of the lions and you know moved ahead of the bears comfortably in the vikings i think it's still back in the playoffs here too so uh clark what's your preferred way here that's still available uh to bet on the, the backers uh current bet that is still available is, is 30 to 1 to win the nfc i think tapping into that upside i think another thing that we sometimes forget is is we get so into the analytics and the numbers and the data because that's how we consume the nfl like a lot of people that bet that's how we think but there are cultural things that happen in teams that go beyond the numbers and aaron Rodgers leaving and jordan love taking over this is a guy that the players all seem to really like they seem to like his leadership they think they love the way he's handled himself over the last few years in waiting for his time and not trying to you know stir it up or anything like that and so you know you could see all these talented players that underperformed last year, you know, suddenly things start to click. The momentum in the building is better. People are more humble. People are more team oriented. Like you can't rely on these types of things. You can't really like model it, but these cultural shifts happen. And I think that with Matt LaFleur finally being like the big dog in the room, um, I think we could see some positive changes overall for this team. That's a great, great point. I think their path to, hallucinogenics is a little bit trickier, but I think otherwise, like there is something to be said to like what happens in the locker room with that dynamic. It's great, especially with the young receiving core, a young group of, of you know, again, you knew, Hey, I walk into my guys is Devonte Adams and I trust them. And if you're off and you're dead and I don't trust you, like I won't even go to you. And I think you saw that maybe even with Romeo Dobbs in the second half of the year too. So oh, yeah, excellent, excellent point. Yeah. I mean, you can see the confidence just drain when Aaron Rodgers like stares you down after a play, <laughs> like, man, I, yeah. Yeah. The Christian Watson 75 yard drop on the first play of the offensive season against the Vikings. And then just like, I mean, he was kind of injured for half the year too, but he like very clearly was, was not going to get the ball for Man's another up. six weeks. And then, and then yeah. Jordan Love comes in against Philadelphia and hits him for a 67 yard touchdown. It was like, yeah. you couldn't script it any better. 
Yeah. Uh, Connor, how are you betting the Packers now? Yeah, one bet that I just made and released to our subs I thought was interesting was Jordan Love to lead the league in interceptions. That was 16 to 1, still 13 to 1. Again, we have projected for three more interceptions than the next closest guy. And he's also not at risk of getting benched, which I think is a big deal because there's an interesting correlation between obviously players throwing a lot of picks. You know, they're more likely to get benched, especially some of the fringe guys like a, you know, hate to say it, maybe like a Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter are, you know, benchable in a sense that were if they threw like 20 interceptions. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I know. I know that Desmond Ritter caught a stray there, but like, I just don't think Jordan Love is at any risk of getting uh, benched. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm again, I want to be realistic too, because there is a downside to, as Connor, I think did a good job laying out the, what happens here with, with Jordan Love, but everything else is there. Like the offensive line, if, if, especially if the left side of the offensive line with uh, Jenkins and Bakhtiari can stay on the field, like that is a fantastic left side of your offensive line that you can, move the chains behind uh, it's a nice combo of running backs like i think both i mean i think aj dillon's surprised in terms of his ability as a pass catcher so far in his career you can use both of those guys out of the backfield uh in you know pass catching role too i think those things can help support a young inexperienced quarterback uh, who also has the level of athleticism that again i know aaron Rodgers can move in in, in the pocket a little bit but i think you could see some more things and gives the floor another layer to the offense that we didn't have at the last couple of years in terms of where late stage Aaron Rodgers in his, in his career. So that I think is another element that, that Jordan love brings that Rodgers didn't have. So yeah, they're exciting to me. And uh, I think the division is very interesting because I think it's going to be fun to watch. All four teams have some exciting levels. I think there are some questions about defense really across the board. So we can have some shootouts here. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting division. Again, head over to 444.com. You can read Clark's article. You can read mine on the division, uh, getting some you know longer thoughts on what we touched on today. Um, but I think this is uh this is good stuff. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one. So uh anything else for the folks, Clark, before we wrap up? No, all good. Uh go bet on the Packers. It's been steaming all, all off season for good reason. Yeah. Connor, anything for you? Uh, you know, toss me a like or maybe a reply on one of my threads, and I'll be much appreciated. Yeah, Connor's got a good thread out there on Twitter today around uh, prop betting, uh, as he typically does. It, it correlates with an article that he put up on the site recently as well. So you can head over to the site and read something from all three of us. We will be back next week, uh, same spots, to wrap up the NFC. Again, head over to 444.com. Jump in the show notes here, wherever you're listening uh, or watching. You can find out how to gain access to our betting sub for super cheap. Get all the picks, all the stuff that we do all season long. So for Clark and Connor, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks everyone.